There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Murder. Some devastating events are seared into the memory of an entire nation. On December 14th, 2012, the world watched with bated breath as an entire school evacuated and left behind the bodies of dozens of young classmates. So, if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On December 14th, 2012, a school in Fairfield County, Connecticut, became the focal point of an entire nation. 60 miles away from New York City, the town of 28,000 residents rarely saw any serious crimes being committed. In fact, the one and only homicide in Newton happened 10 years before our story ever took place. A story that, at its conclusion, saw the deaths of 26 individuals. We begin sometime before 9.30 a.m. on Friday, December 14th, when 20-year-old Adam Lanza shot and killed his 52-year-old mother, Nancy Lanza, with a 22 caliber rifle inside of their home. Nancy was left lying in her bed, still dressed in pajamas, with a gunshot wound to her head. Shortly after taking his mother's life, Adam jumped into her car and drove the short distance to Sandy Hook Elementary School. Arriving at the school that, as of November 30th, 2012, had 456 students enrolled in kindergarten through fourth grade, Adam took his mother's Bushmaster rifle and with 10 magazines at the ready, shot through a glass panel next to the locked front entrance and walked right inside. The school had, just before this devastating day, upgraded their security protocols and locked the doors at 9.30 a.m. None of that mattered, however, when the bullet shattered the window. Wearing all black with earplugs, sunglasses, and an olive green utility vest, teachers and students alike heard the sound of gunfire through the intercom system, which at the time was being used to make morning announcements. Principal Don Hoshsprung and the school psychologist, Mary Sherlock, were in a meeting with other faculty members when they heard the popping sound of gunfire. Not realizing what exactly was causing the sound, Don, Mary, and a teacher named Natalie Hammond went out into the hall and came face to face with the gunman. Left behind in the meeting room, a faculty member later said they heard the women shout, Shooter, stay put, before the sound of gunshots rang out through the hallway. That's when the sound of Rich Thorne, the janitor, telling the shooter to put the gun down was heard by a teacher hiding in the math lab. But by this point, both Don Hochsprung and Mary Sherlock had already been killed. Natalie Hammond, hit in the leg, was shot a second time and made the wise decision to lay still on the ground until she heard the gunman retreat. She then crawled back to the conference room and pressed her body against the door to keep it closed. The actions of these three women saved the lives of all the faculty members inside of that room. The next thing reported were the words, put your hands up and don't shoot, heard by a nine-year-old student just before he, his classmates, and his teacher took refuge in a closet in the gym. More shooting was heard, and a second teacher, who was substituting for a kindergarten classroom, was shot and wounded during the attack. She was in the process of closing a door further down the hallway when a ricocheting bullet hit her in the foot. But Adam Lanza, due to her quick thinking, never entered her classroom. Entering the main office, Adam failed to see anyone hiding inside and returned to the hallway. 
When he did so, Sarah Cox, the 60-year-old nurse, and the school secretary, Barbara Halstead, called 911. We were hiding in the first aid supply closet for what would end up being about four horrifying hours, while janitor Rick Thorne ran through the hallways alerting the other classrooms. Adam entered his first classroom where the substitute teacher, Lauren Rousseau, herded her first grade students to the back of the room and was in the process of hiding them in the bathroom when Adam forced his way inside. Opening fire, Lauren, 15 of her students, and Rachel Diavino, a behavioral therapist who only worked there for about a week, were all shot dead. One of the 14 students was alive when first responders arrived, but was declared dead once taken to the hospital for treatment. The sole survivor of that classroom massacre, a six-year-old little girl, was later found hiding in a corner of the classroom's bathroom. When she was finally reunited with her family, she ran to her mother and said, Mommy, I'm okay, but all my friends are dead. Continuing his rampage, Adam went to another first grade classroom where, for one reason or another, the story starts to get a little hazy. With conflicting reports about the order of events, according to some, the classroom's teacher, Victoria Lee Soto, having concealed as many students as she could, was walking back to the door to lock it when Adam pushed his way inside. He then walked to the back of the classroom, saw the children hidden under their desks, and pulled the trigger. With some still hiding in the closet or bathroom, reports claim that first grader Jesse Lewis shouted out at his classmates to run to safety. Many did as they were told, and Jesse, looking straight at Adam Lanza, became his next victim. Another account, given by a survivor's father, claimed that the children were seated on the floor at the back of the room when Adam arrived and that neither he nor any of the other individuals in the classroom spoke a word before he, staring at the children on the floor, pointed his gun at a boy but did not fire. The boy was able to run from the classroom. A Hartford Current report said that six of the children managed to escape when Adam's gun either jammed or was reloaded improperly. Taking advantage of the break in gunfire, several students came out of their hiding places and ran to safety. There are also claims that, when entering the room, Victoria Soto, having successfully hidden her students, told the gunman that the children who were supposed to be in her classroom were actually in the auditorium. But when several came out of their hiding places, they became his next targets. Victoria then put herself between the children and the gunman and was fatally shot for her bravery. Anne-Marie Murphy, a special education teacher working in Victoria's classroom, was later found covering the body of six-year-old Dylan Hockley. She too perished during her act of bravery. As six of the surviving children from that class and a bus driver took refuge in a nearby home, leaving behind the bodies of five of her classmates and teacher, first grade teacher Caitlin Roig, just 29 years old, hid 14 students inside a bathroom and barricaded the door. Keeping them all as silent as possible, and after forgetting to take down the black piece of construction paper from her window after a lockdown drill weeks earlier, Adam bypassed their classroom and all managed to survive. Library staff members Yvonne Check and Marianne Jacob tried their best to hide the 18 children inside the library, but when they discovered that one door would not lock, they had the children crawl to the storage room where Yvonne barricaded the door with a filing cabinet. Music teacher Mary Rose Kristopik locked her fourth graders in a tiny supply closet 
And when Adam arrived just moments after securing the barricade, he started yelling to let him in, but everyone remained as quiet and he was forced to move on. Two more students who were chosen as classroom helpers and were walking down the hallway when the shooting began were saved by teacher Abby Clements, who pulled them into her classroom and hid them amongst her other students. And in another act of bravery, reading specialist Laura Feinstein, gathering two students from outside her classroom and hiding with them under her desk, called the office and tried to call 911, but was not able to make a connection. She hid with the children for approximately 40 minutes before law enforcement arrived and led them to safety. The first call to 911 came at around 9.35 a.m., and within seconds, the Connecticut State Police and the Newton Police were dispatched to the school. With the Newton Police arriving at 9.39 a.m. and CSP arriving at 9.46, the police heard what would be the final shot at 9.40 a.m. Finally able to enter, they found Adam Lanza lying on the ground inside of a classroom with a gunshot wound to his head. Mobilizing local police dogs, tactical units, the bomb squad, and a state police helicopter, the school was locked down as evacuations began. The wounded were brought to hospitals, and the victim count was tallied. In their final counts, 26 people plus Adam Lanza lost their lives in what was the deadliest mass shooting at a U.S. elementary school and the fourth deadliest shooting overall in the country. Investigating the massacre, police found nothing to indicate that the shooting was planned, and no connections were found between Nancy Lanza and the school, despite initial reports claiming that she once worked at Sandy Hook. Finding a number of weapons and ammunition with Adam's body, with more being found in his car, it was later reported that a total of 156 shots were fired during the less than five minutes of shooting. No drugs, medication, or alcohol were found in Adam's system, and no abnormalities were found on his brain during the autopsy. At a loss for what might have motivated him to target the school, Police did learn that he removed the hard drive from his computer and damaged it prior to the massacre. And though it was difficult to recover the data, police expressed their belief that Adam researched other mass shootings prior to his own and downloaded videos relating to the Columbine shooting and to others of suicide by gunshot. More weapons were found in the Lanza residence as the NRA denied allegations that he or Nancy Lanza were members of their organization. Finding more firearms tucked into the gun safe, police learned that they were legally owned by Adam's mother, who was described as a, quote, gun enthusiast. Describing him as a solitary young man, Adam Peter Lanza, born April 22, 1992, was living with his mother just five miles from Sandy Hook Elementary School, had no criminal record, and was known to attend the shooting range with his mother and brother. There was no evidence indicating that Nancy was scared or worried for her son and felt comfortable living with guns in her home. According to the reports, Adam began exhibiting developmental challenges before he was three years old. Struggling with communication, sensory difficulties, socialization delays, and repetitive behavior, he was taken to the New Hampshire Birth to Three intervention program and given special education preschool services. Once he entered elementary school, he was diagnosed with sensory integration disorder. And though this does not have an official formal diagnosis, it is a common characteristic of autism. Adam attended Sandy Hook Elementary School for four and a half years before moving on to middle school where, according to his mother, 
he was, quote, racked by anxiety. Blaming the frequent classroom changes for his son's overstimulation, at one point things got so intense that she had to take him to the emergency room. And in April of 2005, he was moved to a different school where he lasted only eight weeks before being placed on homebound status in the eighth grade. Given a more easily recognizable diagnosis when he was 13, Asperger's syndrome, when Adam was just 14 years old, he was taken to Yale University's Child Study Center, where he was additionally diagnosed with OCD. Prescribed Calexa, Adam took the medication for just three days before his mother said he, after complaining about dizziness, became disoriented, his speech disjointed, and he failed to complete normal tasks like opening a cereal box. He then began sweating profusely and claiming he was, quote, practically vegetative, he stopped taking the pills and never resumed. Now attending Newton High School, where he received the honor roll in 2007, Adam was described by teachers and students alike as, quote, intelligent, but nervous and fidgety. He failed to really socialize, and by 2008, with his schoolwork triggering a sense of hopelessness, Adam once again withdrew from school. He later got his GED and attempted to take some classes at the State University, but he continued to struggle. With some believing his autism was exasperated by the hormones of puberty, in a 2013 interview, his father said that he suspected his son might have also had an undiagnosed schizophrenia, in addition to his other conditions. He said that they might have missed the signs, mistaking them for Asperger's, and left the boy untreated. Having no contact with mental health experts since 2006, Adam, who may have also suffered from anorexia nervosa, continued to isolate himself and spent most of his days playing online games and descending into a world where his only connections to the outside was through a cyber community. It was around this time that he became obsessed with mass shootings. Just a week before the murders, Adam's mother Nancy said she was considering moving to another town and even planned on purchasing him some sort of recreational vehicle to stay in so when people came to view the home, they would not disturb him. In the final reports by the state attorney, they said that, though there was a clear obsession with past mass shootings, there was, quote, no clear indication why he did so or why he targeted Sandy Hook Elementary School. Other reports released from various agencies came to a similar conclusion. Fearful that the published accounts of his autism might result in backlash against others with similar conditions, autism advocates campaigned and asked that officials clarify that, while it seemed to have deeply affected Adam Lanza, autism is not a mental illness, but a brain-related developmental disorder, one that does not generally result in violence and death. In the aftermath of the shooting, a number of things happened. Some were far more productive than others, and some incredibly dangerous. Over the years, a number of lawsuits were filed from various individuals and organizations. A local radio host was sued by multiple victims' families after publicly claiming the shooting was a giant hoax. He would later be forced to pay damages and have to declare bankruptcy. Debate over gun laws and control hit an all-time high, with many demanding universal background checks and banning the sale of certain types of semi-automatic firearms. And schools all over the country altered and changed their security systems to try and prevent a similar event from happening to them. Through all of this, dozens of families grieved the loss of their beloved children 
and those who managed to walk away from this horrific event were irrevocably changed. Despite their fights for action, school shootings, as you know, remain a constant and terrifying reality in the United States. Before we end this episode, I want to say the names of the teachers, officials, and children lost during the Sandy Hook shooting. Allison Wyatt, Anna Marquez Green, Anne Marie Murphy, Avell Richmond, Benjamin Wheeler, Caroline Previtti, Catherine Hubbard, Charlotte Bacon, Chase Kowalski, Daniel Barden, Don Lafferty Hoshprung, Dylan Hockley, Emily Parker, Grace McDonald, Jack Pinto, James Mattioli, Jesse Lewis, Jessica Recos, Josephine Gay, Lauren Russo, Madeline Shu, Mary Sherlock, Noah Posner, Olivia Engel, Rachel Diavino, and Victoria Soto. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to what terrible thing happened on December 15th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there is always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. <laughs>